senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 84, and this is going to be a weird one. It's it's going to be a little bit different than most of them, partially because, well, number one, it, it didn't seem like a lot actually happened in comics this week. I mean, we sort of poured over the news sites, and there were some little things here and there. Yeah, but... I mean, the, the biggest thing isn't going to happen until just after this airs or as this is airing <laughs> yeah sort of the most exciting thing is yeah the debut of fear the walking dead that we're, we're is it wa- fear the walking dead tonight or is it walking dead tonight fear the walking dead's tonight okay. walking dead is not until october all right so yeah the debut of fear the walking dead's tonight uh it is currently uh, just before the seven o'clock eastern time as we're taping this so yeah there was no reasonable way in hell yeah. that we could watch that and then somehow get a show out so that's probably what next week's show is going to be two-thirds about. So buckle in, kids. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, that dead guy ate that guy from Los Angeles is cool. I liked it. Los Angeles sucks. It deserves what it gets. At least it's not New York. Yeah. I mean, let's be fair for Christ's <laughs> sake. I kid. I've never been there. <laughs> I've been there. I was there when I was 15 years old uh, on vacation with my folks. And my first impression of Los Angeles was the comfort in we stayed in. Man, we we st- we stayed there one night. With the lights on to prevent the roaches from crawling on the walls. It sounds pleasant. Yeah, we uh, we found and yet another... you make fun of my childhood. <laughs> the difference is we <laughs> left there. We didn't try to make toys out of the situation. We didn't try to have roach roaches to keep the kids quiet. We left. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your childhood is just a—it's a never-ending <laughs> bummer. It's—I'm not in a position to do the math to count the seconds. From zero to 18 years old and going off to college, but it's, it's like a suck fest. Every story you've told me for every one of those seconds. I, you know, I managed to actually get out of there at like 17 and a half. Oh, well, look at these money bags <laughs> over here. Saving her toy money from playing with blown up, uh, wine balls as fl- pool floaties. <laughs> yeah. Wine bags. Wine bag. What did I say? Balls. Wine balls. <laughs> that no. just seems like oddly bacchanal. Well, <laughs> and probably, I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. Probably not something one would want one's children around, like a subway. <laughs> oh, we had to go to subway, didn't we? No, Let's... we didn't. We didn't go to subway at all. We went to the local place down the street. That's where we got our sub. <laughs> we, we didn't go to subway. We we had uh, well, it was like Wonder Bread. It was generic and spongy. Sub hole. And we put uh, <laughs> we we put uh. Not Oscar Mayer. What's what's second to Oscar Mayer? Baloney. Uh, government baloney. <laughs> government baloney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Write that down. That's, that's potentially a the sub title. was called the Governator. It was government baloney and cheese. Government baloney and government cheese. Jesus Christ. With Cisco mayo. Your childhood fascinates me <laughs> because there would be no indication that it's just littered with these horror stories. Meeting you now, you. Um, so I so have my shit together. You seem well-adjusted at first glance. <laughs> and then I opened my mouth. <laughs> so now we're completely off topic. Yeah, here we are. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, next week's show will probably be mostly about Fear the Walking Dead. But yeah, it was one of those weeks where 
in comics, not a hell of a lot happened. And it was combined with, if you listen to last week's show, we a week ago we were sort of idly thinking about looking for a new home office. And we kind of ramped that up this week. And it's only kind of, and it's weird how even just with kind of looking for a new place just sucks the bone marrow out of you. Yeah. It takes up all your time and... Because it, well, because the open houses don't happen at a convenient time. They happen in like the middle of the goddamn day. So you're killing time in the morning waiting for them to happen and they eat your afternoon. And then you got to talk about what you've seen. What they should have them is at happy hour. (laughs) And then I could roll in their shit face. Just pour me another couple glasses of beer. I'll write a retarded check for $750,000. Yeah. Yeah. If we could just roll up and they give us like little finger foods and booze. This house is great. I don't notice this water damage at all. Yeah. (laughs) What mold smell? So, yeah, it's we just sort of started the process. So we talked to a real estate guy and that was a a meeting that had to be set up and it was at a weird hour. And we had no idea really what to ask him for what we wanted, which was uh, our initial was, yeah, as huge as humanly possible for no money with uh, no rats. And (laughs) Uh, yeah. And no ho- hopefully the gutters are not ready to fall off the fall off the roof the and first time there's an inch of snow. There should be a roof. The roof should work. Yeah, that that should work out. But it's also weird. We we also didn't want to commit. It's like, well, we don't want to sell the home office yet or put it on the market because we're not sure what we're doing. So with these ridiculous giant house for no money criteria, he brought us to a couple of places, and the the first one. The the interior was very nice, but when you went outside, it's like, oh, this house needs to be painted. And it's a good thing that they didn't paint it because then nothing would distract me from the fact that even with my untrained eye, this roof is about to collapse. Yeah. I could see between the individual fucking shingles from 30 feet away. It, it, and it's disturbing, too, because you can't tell from any of the pictures they throw up on the website. And it's not necessarily they've gone out of their way to Photoshop. It's just that the resolution of the pictures that they take is not such that you can see, oh, shit, there's no roof. Yeah, they, they <laughs> sort of wide-angle it and then shrink it down so you can't get the full resolution. Yeah. And for some of them, I swear to God, they put Vaseline on the lens. A soft-core <laughs> lens for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they just they put the lens in a jar of Vaseline <laughs> and shot through it for the roof on that first place. Yeah. And then the second place from the outside looked very nice. And then you went inside, and it looked like it was wallpapered by Buffalo Bill from Silence <laughs> of the Lambs, just this horrible, rotting... It was, it was, I don't, yeah, it looked great from the outside, at the end of this awesome cul-de-sac, so it seemed private, and, you know, lovely, green, hilly backyard, and then you realize, yeah, because you're at the, the bottom of friggin' Dead Man's Hill, and that's where all of the runoff goes. And, and the, the guy who's showing us the place, oh, yeah, you don't want to put in you know, French drains. And I'm like, what is that? A drain that surrenders? Like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's the magical lie of drain, line of drains. As long as the water comes this way, you're fine. Yeah. If it comes from over there, you're fucked. You're fucked. <laughs> so, and it's, yeah, you go into this place and they had these wonderful pictures of this basement rec room. And we went there. <laughs> An hour and a half after a thunderstorm, and it's like there's puddles in this fucking basement. <laughs> yeah, they had like one good room that they totally pimped on the website, which was the kitchen. So that's why I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, this is great. And then everything else in the house. <laughs> yeah, and there was 
There was no air conditioning, but there was this giant fan that apparently would like ruin your arm if you accidentally got it stuck up in there. Yeah, they had a fan in the attic that you turn it on. And it's this giant industrial fan that makes a giant industrial fan noise. Yeah. And the best part about it is it will muffle whatever screams you require muffled in your home as you're drowning <laughs> someone in two inches of water in the fucking basement. Yeah. Yeah, like a eighty year old friggin' furnace and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, the the most efficient way this furnace could heat the house <laughs> is if you set it on fucking fire. <laughs> and then and then I'm I'm pointing these things out to the man showing us to I'm like, maybe we can knock them down some. He's like, Oh no, no. See if this house was done properly, it would be you know, insert price that's like fifty to two hundred thousand dollars beyond what we're willing to pay. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you can afford this because it sucks. That's the so I'm beginning to learn that like I'm turning into my mother. Like the tastes that I have are far above what I really should be shooting for, and that concerns me. <laughs> it is like your childhood. You got champagne, champagne tastes on horrible bag of wine drink, Franzia boxed wine. Yeah, reality. <laughs> so it, yeah, that was the and even after you see these, like you have to discuss them. It's like, uh, well, I didn't see any rats. That was a positive today. We didn't see yeah. any rats today. And it's a, uh, well, <laughs> we could, you know, certainly knock down a wall. Which one? Probably all of them. We should just knock them all down and start, <laughs> start over. Start over. Salt the earth. Live in a mud hut, a yurt of some kind. <laughs> we'll just live off the land. Be living on bean soup and ramen. <laughs> <laughs> then they have to have the discussions about, okay, what do we really want? We think we come up with some criteria. So yeah, today was another, couple of open houses there was one real possibility um but even then it's so yeah you come in after that and it's all right we have to talk about it is this we, we don't have a lawyer or a professional or anything so we don't know what we're talking about yeah maybe if we could talk them down to 38 dollars, we could close the deal today <laughs> is that a possibility <laughs> can i close the handshake uh, I can't close it with a handshake and like just maybe spit on my hand just to show my intent yeah, no, we we don't have enough money to find. If we were to burn this place for the insurance, how quickly would the check show up from the insurance company? <laughs> and how much of we would we have to bribe back to the investigator? Because I don't know how to start a fire that doesn't look like a moron started a fire. <laughs> it's a, this fire should not have started in the shape of a bat signal if it were natural. I thought it would look cool. I bet it did look cool. Don't get your ideas truck. from the Daredevil movie. There's a reason that didn't do well. Yeah. All right. <laughs> God, at least make it in the shape of a crow. Yeah. <laughs> that would be glorious. I would do the Where'd time Where'd the house go? The crow said, don't look. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's been a large part of the week, a larger part than we originally anticipated, considering we haven't done anything really serious. We haven't signed anything or made any offers or anything. Yeah. So it, it took a large, large part of the week anyway. And, yeah, we literally just finished up all that process about an hour ago. And then I set up the studio, and by the end of setting up the studio again, it's like, you know, I'll pay them $4 million. It means <laughs> I have a room. I can just leave this shit set up. That's, that's so all you, I you've want. gone from $38 and a, and a shrug to I, I, I will give you a child. I will find a child. Yeah, I'm not an idiot. I'll open with I'll give you a Dutch rudder before I go straight to the suck job. I I want to. I want to give myself room. I think we should talk about this a little further before you settle on this as your opening gambit. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is how you will know that they've they've accepted my offer. They got my dick message. <laughs> Jesus Christ! So it's been a hell of a lot more hectic week than we thought, and uh, yeah, just no breakout huge comic things to really talk about. So this week, 
Yeah, we're just, uh, we picked like five comics out of this week's tape, take that we had some strong feelings about. So, yeah, we're just, we're going to talk Taking it back to basics. Exactly. We'll go (laughs) old school. We'll talk about these books. The show will go for as long or as short as it has to. Uh, if you normally tune into us because you like the longer discussions about other subjects, yeah, next week will be Fear the Walking Dead. We will have things to say about Fear the Walking Dead. No, unless uh, Rob Liefeld's head explodes in some form of uh, space fungus. Anything is possible. <laughs> I, I guess. It's a day. I, I don't know how one covers that. <laughs> um. You know how one covers it? You say, no, shit, it would have gone after, should have gone after his foot. He wouldn't even noticed. No. <laughs> oh. They're not like all, all going to be Picasso's. Oh. It's, it's been a really long fucking day. <laughs> A long day. A long day. <laughs> we may have been exposed to like toxic black mold. We don't know. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> that is the sad thing. The one place where it's like, yeah, we might want to proceed with this has just visible and obvious water damage from the winter that we had in Boston. It's like anybody clean that up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it, it nothing. Yeah, nothing was fixed. Nothing was cleaned. It was as though they said, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Water getting in. <laughs> There's no escape. <laughs> Going to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> it really was almost like some owner looked at water pouring down his walls and said, fuck it. Pack it up. He gave in to the despair. <laughs> yeah, we're leaving this place for dead. <laughs> we'll live in our car. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It is the zombie apocalypse. I'm out of here. <laughs> the car doesn't leak. There's no <laughs> zombies in the car. So, um, again, we are this close to fatigue hysteria. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow we'll survive. Somebody was giving booze to these goddamn things. That's how we'll survive. That is how we'll survive. So, so yeah, we got five books from this week's take uh, that we're going to talk about. So, you want to just get started? Let's do this. Which one do you want to start out with? Uh, the top of our pile, we have the latest Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yep, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, season 10, number 18, uh, written by Christos Gage, art by Rebecca Isaacs. Uh, any initial impressions? Basically, uh, what's going on in this book? And by the way, we're probably going to spoil every one of these books that we talk about. So yes. you have been alerted. But yeah, we've got uh, this villain, Archaeus. He has taken over Angel because uh, this is an Angel crossover issue. Uh, so he's got Angel attacking Spike. While the rest of the Scooby gang tries to crack open the box that Archaeus seems to be using as a weapon, there is fighting, and then the Scooby gang wins, and then Angel and Spike have to deal with the repercussions of Spike's burgeoning relationship with Buffy. Um, Which would be like take two of that, since in the actual TV show, they took a run at that. They took a run and leap at something. Uh, I'm not sure you can (laughs) call what happened in season six a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. That would mean when I was in my 20s, I had many relationships after closing time. <laughs> well, I feel as though they they had kind of sort of gotten together by the end of season seven, but that was... <laughs> I think they had found a way that they could work and operate with each other. Yeah. Um, the biggest problem with an ongoing relationship as of the end of season seven was uh, Spike was dead. That's kind Crazy. of a problem. No, he was he got killed at the end of eight, season seven. Remember, it was the next season of Angel oh, right. that brought him back to life. So, this, yeah, 
you know, it's interesting when when these uh, TV series then cross over to to book form. It's great because they can they can keep telling the stories and they can do it with an unlimited budget. Uh, but if you kind of leave it for a while and come back to it, you lose track of certain flow and minutia. <laughs> yeah, well, this book is on my polls. Have you been following it? Every now and again. See, it's my, my initial impression dropping back in here is like, oh, okay. Everybody's all still here. Oh, okay. We still have, you know, similar characters hooking up with other characters and it, not much has changed <laughs> or yeah. things have changed, but nothing has changed. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when was the last time you, you followed this regularly? Because I, I know both you and I, uh, yeah, somewhere I, in season nine and then I kind of just got away from it. Cause yeah, I put this on my polls for season eight. Yeah. And we both followed it pretty closely through that. And season it, eight was kind of ridiculous. As by it the end sort of, it. of spun wildly out of yeah. control under the auspices. Exactly like you said, hey, we don't have a budget now. Fuck it. We'll do everything we could ever think of. Yeah. And it was just too big a scope. And I think there was a certain amount of that in season nine. I think both you and I were sort of tuning in and out even as the books were coming in every month. Yeah. Season 10 has been much tighter. Gage and Isaacs as a creative team really have brought the scope down a certain amount. It's really focused around, you know, the gang and a lot of them, you know, live together and certain relationships have been broken up to keep things sort of I fluid. did notice. Yeah, I am I'm a big fan of the fact that Don appears to no longer be with Xander. Um, because fuck you, Don. <laughs> well, yeah, you like that because that's the first step from separating her from the rest of the human race. <laughs> My favorite part of season eight was they made her into some sort of giant hose beast for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus, I'd forgotten they did that. Because, hey, fuck it, they could. Yeah. So we're just goddamn lucky we didn't get Ant-Man, Wasp, Xander, <laughs> Xander Don sex scenes. Yeah. Like from Jeff Johns. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Um. Xander, this is Giant Don. I want you to hit it as hard as you can. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know. This is a family show. There's no room for a clit punch on a giant in this show. <laughs> Brought to you by Subway. <laughs> All right. Um, but getting back into this, this is the conclusion of, of an ongoing arc. Um, it, but again, you know, in some ways, nothing has changed. I mean, yes, Archaeus has possessed or apparently has been working in the background of all of their minds <laughs> um, and has had some difficulty controlling Spike and Angel because they have souls in there. But the underlying um, programming for the two of them is like, given the opportunity, they'll try to kill each other. So he's able to get Angel to act out on those impulses because that's wiring that's already there. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the giant fight with Archaeus, that was really the most effective part for me. The Even though it really does sort of go back to, I don't want to say basics or tropes of the character, but, yeah. oh yeah, the daddy issues, and no yeah. matter what, he's still going to feel this way from when he was, you know, at least there was some emotion going on there. A lot of this fight really was, okay, we're trying spells on this box, and punch and kick, and... But at least there was some emotional underpinning with those sequences. Yeah, I mean, watching Spike and Angel, like, oh, okay, uh, not, nothing's changed. They're, they still hate each other and want to kill each other. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's comfortable. I feel as though, even though I have not read this for a while, it, I'm, I'm not, 
as an older viewer slash reader, I can just jump back in here. Sure. Um, meanwhile, Buffy is still trying her best to rally the troops to what degree she can, but I still don't see her, other than in the specific battle where she's taking point physically on Arceus with Spike and Angel once they get over their issues and band together, she's still not really leading. Giles, even in child form, still seems to be the one taking point there. And it just feels that, and again, you've read more of this at this point than I have, it feels as though... When is Buffy going to get to the point where she's actually got her shit together and she's the leader she's supposed to be? Yeah, I mean, there's been a, a certain amount of Giles sort of alternating between I'm trying to still be Giles while still fighting against uh, that adolescent, you know, uh, let's face reality. If any one of us, I couldn't be 16 again at gunpoint. You yeah. dump that many hormones into me and... <laughs> I'd go berserk. <laughs> and there's been a, some pretty solid characterization of him fighting against that while still trying to be himself. And it looks like some stuff may be coming up where maybe they're bringing him back to adulthood. It's hard to say. But, yeah, I mean, you've you've got a point. But that's... <sighs> I mean, I do remember my 20s as being mired in making poor, immature decisions um and and feeling as though I knew everything, but you know, if you were to ask me to lead something, I think I could do it. But I'd I'd fuck it up five ways from Sunday. Oh yeah. So if if season ten or even season nine, from what I saw, if season ten is supposed to be a metaphor for your twenties, all right. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it, I wouldn't have had all those relationships at last call <laughs> if it weren't the case of I think I know what I'm doing. I certainly did not. But I like you. Let me show you a picture of my kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, I fucking remember that one. Okay. <laughs> Mistakes were made. So I didn't give her my last name. That helps. <laughs> <laughs> Manny, M A N. Meanwhile, I think what's nice to see here is, you know, the Scooby gang has rallied all of the things that have happened to, to break them up. And, and cause them to potentially be alienated from one another. Their, their friendship is strong enough that they've managed to get past that and they're working together. Dawn is not pouting in a corner. So she's, she's grown up some ways the most. <laughs> in, in certain ways. I mean, certainly not latched directly onto Xander, probably because uh, he's around. Yeah. That's the best explanation for that relationship. And really more on Xander's part because he was working through the fact that he always wanted to be with Buffy. Yeah. So, but I mean, that, that's from previous seasons. comic seasons. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, it's nice to see that Willow seems to still be as stable as she can manage. Yeah. <laughs> that management goes up and down. It goes up on... and down. But, you know, I think, I think if you've been away from the book as I have um, and you're looking for a place to jump back on, this is as good a place to do it as any. Or probably the beginning of the next actual arc that's going to start you know, on issue 19. Yeah, so the next issue will probably be a good jumping on point. I mean, what really worked for me for this issue was that final sequence uh, with Angel talking to Willow about yes. Spike and his relationship with Buffy. And that was part of the main reason I wanted to talk about this particular issue, even though you know, I knew you weren't following the series quite as much as I was. It's the first thing I think I've seen in any of the comics 
that gave me real character beats about these existing characters that was strong enough that it made me rethink some of the things, even as far back as the television show. Okay. You know, and, and give me insight into the characters where certain things that I'd seen years ago and, and wasn't necessarily taken for granted, but I could see them in a different way. Yeah. You know, the, the idea that it's, it's not the fact that Spike has a soul now. He's still Spike and he still hates himself and he still thinks that if I can just find the right woman, she'll make everything okay. But that's not what happens. And eventually he'll push her away and show, yep, I should hate myself and go on. And the idea that the immortals never change. Well, it's, it certainly puts events of season six in perspective. Oh, yeah. Season six in perspective, uh, some of the stuff that Angel did. And for me, one of the good things about it was not only that, wow, this is really strong character work about the character through both characters, Angel and Spike, through their entire history. It gives a certain amount of clarity to why <laughs> why these two fucking mopes <laughs> are have been following around this girl they met in high school 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> The idea that, that you would, you know, this is season 10, so she's 26. It's been 10 years. Right. Well, this is what I'm saying. Like, I I can rationalize what I'm seeing out of her behavior as, okay, you're in your 20s. You're still making mistakes. There's still still maturity you got to work on. But, you know, at some point, at some point you have to grow up. Whereas for these guys, the state of arrested development is permanent because of the the emotional and maturity state they were in when they were turned into vampires. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it it makes a lot of things make more sense why these guys would still be basically orbiting around this girl after 10 years. By the time we're 26, most of us have gotten over our crushes on teenagers from high school. Yeah. Or at least we're pretending we have while putting on a brave face and Making commercials for fucking Subway. <laughs> Avoiding our high school reunions. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it's making it clear that these immortals are just stuck in the same patterns over and over again. You know, make this 10-year drama soap opera make some sense. Yeah, so it's it, it really it worked for me. You know, not only on the, wow, this gives me insight to the old stuff. It's like, okay... It makes why this is still happening make some more sense. Yeah, well, it'll be. I'd be curious to see what Willow does with this conversation going forward because you know, Angel will be fucking off back to his book. Yeah, and she will be left having this information now, watching Buffy go forward with Spike. Yes. So, so what does she do? Yeah. So it's yeah the the conclusion of this book made it the money shot. It's worth reading. Like I said, the fight was, eh, all right, this is okay. But it, the fight didn't even mean anything. You know, they busted up that box, and then little things took all the pieces and put it back together Yeah, within a page. So it's like, all right, you didn't solve anything. Right, except other other players now have the box. Yeah. Oh, nice Easter egg, though. Uh, Xander is wearing a Firefly Serenity uh, hoodie. Oh, is he? Yes. <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. No, um, it's a Hellboy. That's that's the uh... oh BRPD yeah. yeah he's worn BRPD stuff before okay, okay. <laughs> I, I I mistook it from a distance as being some sort of random Mandarin characters <laughs> <laughs> oh no so yeah I mean the best praise I can give it was yeah that last 
sequence, you know, of Spike and Angel trying to, you know, in that final conversation with, with Angel and, and Willow with some really solid character stuff. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, season nine was better than season eight. <clears throat> but last year, Gage and Isaacs were on Angel and Faith. And last year, I liked that better than season nine. And this year, season 10's really upped its game. This is my favorite so far of the three post-TV seasons. Okay. So hopefully this team stays on it. And if they do do a season 11, and they're going to do a season. They'll do a season 98 if that's what it comes down to. Perhaps worth picking up in trade. Yeah. But uh, but this is the best one so far. Okay. All right. So for those of you who like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it's still going. Pick it up. <laughs> it's in a good place right now. Yeah. All right. Which one do you want to talk about next? Speaking of unexpected couples. Uh, <laughs> yes. Let's talk about Secret Six number five. All right. This is uh, Gail Simone. Yeah. Is the writer. Art by Dale Eaglesham and Tom Derenick. Okay. Uh, yeah. So in this one, and this one, we're we're gonna spoil it because there is a reveal in this book. If you have it on your pile, and we're hoping not to find out who Big Shot is, skip ahead to just skip ahead. I don't know how far you gotta skip ahead. <laughs> we do this almost live to tape. You'll have to skip ahead. God damn it. So on uh <laughs> on page one. Page one is the best page one of any comic I've seen in months. There's a disturbingly rubber-faced man. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whose name is, what, Denton Wells? Well, it's, uh, Damon his, Wells? his call sign is Big Shot. Big Shot. It's his code name. And uh, I was unfamiliar with this character, and I found out as we were reading there was a reason why. Yeah. Now, have you read any of the Secret Six up and uh, since it's been relaunched? No, I, okay. I have not. Okay, I did. I followed it quite a bit before the New Fifty Two. Right. Okay. It's uh, let me just say, rubber face man or not, <laughs> I think every comic should open with somebody screaming "Red Hot Wieners" for everyone. <laughs> and this is why you're going to have to introduce yourself to the neighbor kids when we when we move. <laughs> like, that kind of <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Neighbor kids, uh, there are already rumors about me. Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> Mom, there's a man in the backyard screaming about red hot wieners. <laughs> <laughs> they got my dick message. <laughs> so, um, in any event, we've got Catman, Black Alice, and some other characters who I am not familiar with. At the table, um, being fed red hot wieners. Yeah, uh, and other assorted meat products. Who was in there? One of them, the the pale one, is the new ventriloquist. Okay. Um, the uh, there's a new character named Porcelain. Okay. Is there anybody else I'm leaving out? Um, there is a woman with really short hair having a martini in that panel with the ventriloquist. Uh, I I can't see from here. Yeah. Well, let, let's just go through what's happening in the story. Anyway, okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, this is this is the issue where we learn who Big Shot is and who Mockingbird is, and one of those revelations is good news, and the other sucks because thanks to Arkham Knight on the Xbox One, I fucking hate the Riddler now. <laughs> so Black Alice is upstairs, um, sleeping off something. 
Yeah, see, that's the thing. I don't, I think I missed issue four. Part of the problem with this book is it's been delayed. Mm. It's been delayed over and over again. The first issue was in December. And I think the second one was, was delayed in February. I know this issue was originally solicited for June. Okay. So it's it's been coming out on a weird schedule. I'm not sure why. So I think I did miss an issue or two. And, and I think I missed issue four. So, yeah, I, I don't know what knocked her out. Okay. But anyway. So she, she's she been um, recovering. She had some sort of weird dream. And in that dream, she saw a picture of, of a lady who uh, Big Shot had claimed was dead. However, the the lady is someone that Catman has identified as someone working with Mockingbird who attacked him. Yes, that, that happened in the first issue. Okay. So he gets all upset and wants to go downstairs and throw down with Big Shot. Black Alice talks him down, tries to suggest just having a civilized conversation. <laughs> That goes all to hell. That was one of my favorite parts of this. Catman is so ready to just be Catman and attack. And she goes to such effort to calm him down. And it's a, you really just want to talk to him, just have a conversation. And it immediately goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, I, I, I like this. this I, I'd been meaning to get back into this book. Um, and I'm, I'm psyched about everything that I saw in here. I did have some questions like why does Black Alice's new costume seem to take its design cues from Hawk of Hawk and Dove? Well, because Black Alice's power set was the ability to absorb power from magic-based heroes. Okay. And her costume would modify. If I remember right, when Black Alice was initially introduced, they called her Black Alice because she had some of the Marvel family's powers okay. and was wearing a black Captain Marvel-ish costume like Black Adam. Got it. So, yeah, I think she just absorbed Hawk's powers there. Oh, okay. She has feet, though, so good on her. It wasn't the Liefeld Hawk. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. But so, yeah, they, they have a throwdown. They, they go off. Now, the other side of the Secret Six from pre- uh, New 52 seems to be working for the Riddler. Yes. So that's interesting. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's probably just a way to reintroduce the characters. We will find, you know, look, we're going to find that Big Shot sort of rotates out and other people will rotate back in. So this is probably just sort of part, I'm guessing part of the evolution of the lineup of the, the team. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 a satisfying book because you you get to the the end of it where they're they have their their battle and we find out why why this woman is with the Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think by nature, I've already warned we're going to spoil this book. I think yeah. we have to you know spoil the the revelation that big shot with the rubber face who can control how his body look is looks is the elongated man the the woman is sue dibney and go ahead why why is she working with the riddler um she's working with the the riddler because well i'm not sure it seems like it was a, a ploy to to get I mean, actually yeah that's probably not a fair question <laughs> it, it, seems it, like it was, was a, a ploy to get the rest of the secret six to the riddler it's, it, it was a trap yes yeah. you know now how that's all going to string together in the long run uh, has not been revealed, but it, it amounts to the reintroduction of 
Ralph and Sue Dibney into the post right. New Fifty Two universe. And it was one of those, you know, we we've talked about on this show, like why why did Dan DiDio hate the Justice League International so much? I, how how many of them were killed off like over time? Oh God. <laughs> Either killed off or threatened to be killed off or turned into villains or scumbags or it doesn't even necessarily start with Dan DiDio, although he certainly seemed to have a particular mat on for him. Yeah. Um, so back during Identity Crisis, Sue Dibney was killed by Gene Loring. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, I defend Identity Crisis. Yeah. That I still like Identity Crisis. But it was I'm, a blow. I mean. <laughs> well, that's. Part of what made it effective was, uh, yeah, basically killing one of the the hearts of the DC universe. That's that's the thing about a elongated man and Sue Dibney. They they've never been a list. They've never meant to be a list, but they tend to be pleasant. And uh, yeah, I'm just thinking of them in Starman and yeah, in Justice League Europe. It was yeah, they were. The loving couple that were really almost the heart of whatever book they were in. And now we have them reintroduced, seemingly working for a villain and committing a massive act of betrayal. Yes. We're not sure how they got to that point because clearly they were in the heist flashback. Yes. Uh, not working with Riddler. Right. Look, it's probably just as simple as Riddler got her hand, got his hands on Sue and Threatened Ralph. Threatened. It's some kind of brainwashing, whatever. So that's why Ralph is doing it. I, I can't imagine it's going to be much more complicated than that. Right. Yeah. So it's it's a bummer to see him working for the villain, but I was glad to see him again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, I, I must admit, I did not really see... I, I didn't really see it coming until it happened, <laughs> to a certain degree. <laughs> yeah. it's And it's one of those things that, yeah, you know, I don't live and die by the elongated man, but I've got, you know, I've got reasonably, reasonably good feelings for. It. I mean, the first time I think I saw elongated man was in Detective Comics four sixty eight, yeah, from nineteen seventy seven, which is one of one of the few comics I bought when I was a really young kid that I still have. It's a, it's got. Calculator on the cover. He's shooting what looks like an arcade machine claw out of the top of his head for some reason. Um, this one has art by Marshall Rogers, who is one of the classic 1970s. You know, he just did a few issues of Detective Comics, but he he's the guy who uh, did the redesign of Deadshot's costume. Okay. This is part of his run on Detective Comics. I think this was his first interior, like full interior art issue. Oh, wow. Okay. So... You know, it, it's one of a very few issues of comics that survived. I counted them up. Eight moves. Uh, my mom and my fucking thieving brother. So <laughs> the fact that Elongated Man is in this, I, I got a long history with the character, even though he's not my favorite. Yeah. It's good to see him again. It's As I was looking up, it's like, yeah, it was Identity Crisis. That's basically when he gave it up. That, that was 2004. Right. It's been more than 10 years without this character around. Wow. And that's part of why I like the characterization, at least as big shot, of sort of a man at a time, not in a full time traveler, you know, Captain America kind of way, but an old fashioned dude. Cause realistically, this character has missed Infinite Crisis mm -hmm. and Final Crisis and Flashpoint and the New 52. And he should thank his lucky stars every day. Uh, for a lot of those, yeah. <laughs> 
so that that characterization of I'm from a simpler time, even though yeah, that simpler time is really eleven, twelve years ago. <laughs> I just I thought that was kind of cool and worked. Yeah, I and again as as someone who had been reading the book and had been meaning to get back into the book. This in- encourages me to go back. I know we've got the issues in the house and, and get caught up and and stay with it going forward because there's a lot to like here. I've always enjoyed how Gail Simone has written these characters. Oh, yeah. Um, she's got tight dialogue. The, the plots are well thought out and not exposition heavy. Everything's action forward. So <laughs> Yeah, and, and some of the exposition that was in this book, that conversation between ventriloquist and porcelain about why people on super teams eventually Threaten. no matter what they fight each other it harkens back to when we were reading the buffy book <laughs> yeah kind of but it's you know yeah the, uh, everybody's a loaded gun yeah you know, and if you've got a loaded gun eventually you're going to shoot it at somebody even when you're ordered not to and it's precisely why i don't own a gun and why i wear pants on the bus just <laughs> sometimes you got to break the rules it's better to just make yourself ready. Because you drink whiskey and you like to cover your bases. Bases? I like to cover a lot of... Th- no, not on the bus. Someday I'll be free on the bus. No, you won't. No, I won't. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> I got a bad enough reputation without being that guy on the bus. Hey, kids! Red Hot Wieners! <laughs> um, so... So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean... I know you haven't read a lot of them. How do you feel about this version as opposed to the the pre-New 52 version? Of the characters? Of just the Secret Six in general. I I mean, part of I'll cop to, this is pretty solid. I liked the pre-New 52 better, but then again, that had a lot more time and a lot of... Well, yeah, it's it's only five issues in, so as a a build-up towards, you know, a a, a working team, I, I... think out of the gate there's a lot to like i i'm going to guess that it will continue to get layers on it you know so we watched them throw down we we know that um scandal and company are here somewhere we don't really see them in this fight i don't think uh <clears throat> i'd have to look again to tell you the truth well i'm just i'm i'm, I'm looking we we see oh, them in the fight on the yacht no the... no no afterwards when when they get there and the betrayal is discovered because when we see the the, the team of 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 riddler's henchmen i don't see scandal or banshee or ragdoll here yeah no it's just a bunch of riddler wannabes in green suits yeah so that's why Batman would fucking catch Riddler in a second. I don't think he's sewing all that shit himself. Once you've outsourced to a tailor, I need eight green suits. Maybe maybe he's got a 3D printer. <laughs> Great. They're composite plastic suits. It's not breathable. Why am, I, why am I about to faint? Guess what part of me is stuck to my left leg? I'm not wearing this suit. Is it a red hot wiener? I need some dry linen for my red hot wiener. <laughs> So I, I, you know, there's that, I don't want to say gun on the wall, but we've got these three characters that are clearly in play that we haven't seen anything from yet. We we saw Riddler and his henchmen in the final page. So what's going to happen next? I want to know. <laughs> yeah. And characters with a history with the Secret Six from before the new 52. So. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> I'm just so fucking tired of the Riddler because I can't get past that last goddamn racetrack on fucking Arkham Knight. Oh, 
why is Riddler building a fucking racetrack? Well, that's the question, isn't it? It's not even a reasonable question. Why would he? Why? That's it's like the, <laughs> I'm the Joker and I built a space station. <laughs> I'm Lex Luthor and my plan is to go kick kids in the balls. It, no, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> God damn it, Rocksteady Studios. If I wanted a platformer, I wouldn't have bought a fucking Batman game. That's right. You could use the Donkey Kong game that I bought you downstairs. That's right. And you know why I haven't played it a lot? Platforming games I'm terrible at. <laughs> why am I racing the fucking Batmobile on a platform track, you son of a bitcha? I don't know. But I guess I guess once you solve that, you'll have solved their riddle. I want to see Catman kick Riddler in the taint. You have a lot of rage. I can't beat that fucking level. <laughs> And I haven't had time to play it in two weeks, and it vexes me. It just—it's it's sticking in my craw. I can't beat it. I, okay, but we'll—we'll we'll get you the whiskey you need. I just want to see the Secret Six tear the Riddler apart and use the parts for mulch, and then I'll feel better about me. All right, all right. As long as you've got a plan, you could—I don't know—tweet it at Gail Simone. <laughs> I'm sure she'll listen. Uh, what? I don't know. <laughs> Just trying to be helpful. I mean, you're clearly upset about this. Uh, aren't I on enough lists? <laughs> I don't need that shit. Anyway, this is a good book. I it is a it. good book. <laughs> Riddler Mulch. That's a good title. <laughs> uh, all right. So, which one do we want to do next? So, speaking of of. Dude's getting kicked in the taint. Why don't we talk about Annie Mae Parker? <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. With a, a literal taint kick. Although, eh, I, I've, nah, <laughs> never mind. We'll get to it. Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows 4, uh, one of 426 Secret Wars titles out this week alone. Yes. Uh, written by Dan Slott, uh, art by Adam Kubert and Scott Hanna. So, yeah, we got Spider-Man uh, fighting the Sinister Six uh, when his family's captured, but not by Regent, the overlord of this particular area of Battleworld. Uh, no, they're captured by S.H.I.E.L.D., which is now Hawkeye, Prowler, Dagger, Mockingbird. Not the same Mockingbird from Secret Six, because I don't want to turn him into mulch. But <laughs> the actual Mockingbird from Marvel, uh, Jarvis, and uh, Ben Yurick for some fucking reason because ben yurik yeah. he's always part of the resistance whenever they have a book where there's sides being taken <laughs> the, the pen is mightier than the sword is a euphemism for christ he's sake. there to 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 demand that we look at the truth of what's happening <laughs> <laughs> my power is the truth that i could smoke four packs of cigarettes a day and i can't take stairs <laughs> can so somebody help me up off this couch so, um, much like Parker, Annie always thought that her middle name was No. That's what I got from this <laughs> in yeah. the opening panels. Yeah. Um, it, this, much of this story is told from Annie Mae Parker's point of view. She, she has these powers that she was born with because of her dad's special abilities. Yep. And she can't use them. And dad actually built an inhibitor chip that makes her normal like the other kids. And she resents having to wear it all the time because she just wants to show how cool she is and not hide anymore. Because she's little and she doesn't understand that, um, that she will be kidnapped and rent dissected. From, yeah, exactly. 
Um, and and Peter apparently has also been wearing this inhibitor chip, and this has been, been to keep them out of view of Regent, who has been abducting powered people because he has a suit that can absorb the powers and he can use them for short periods of time until the charge of that power then runs out. Yeah, and he wants to go fight Doctor Doom because that's what every despot on Battleworld... Right. That's their master plan. So, yeah. Um, this caused a rift between Spidey and the Avengers because some of the Avengers felt he left them in the lurch in order to go protect his family instead because go figure. Well, in the first issue, he flat out left in the middle of... The, the apocalypse, the final incursion, yep. I think it was, to, to yeah, go. Save his family. Exactly. Yeah. As, well, I mean, as that's, one does. As one does. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's the always been sort of the question for um, some, some of these heroes. Like, at what level is it, you know, you're just protecting your family, and at what, at what point does your family understand that they may be part of the sacrifice if you have to save the world? Which is not a problem that they've had in Spider-Man since One More Day. Right. And Dan Slott, I don't think, wrote any Spider-Man before One More Day, so this is his first... Brush with that. His first brush with it. And, yeah, it is, in, it is interesting now that you, you mention it. It's, you know, for years, Slott's big thing, particularly up until issue 700, was Peter's motto is... No one no dies. No one dies. You know, and would sacrifice himself before anybody else yeah when there's a wife and a kid this is the decision you have to make which taking a second okay i can kind of see joe quesada's point back in the day uh, maybe it makes more sense to have a spider-man who isn't tied down i still don't really agree i spent yeah. years reading spider-man married to mary jane yeah well and it's like anything else okay so you're serving your country you're in the military you know <laughs> Well, one of the first post-marriage stories back in the 80s was Craven's Last Hunt. Yeah. So it, and it was basically at the point there, there was a scene where, uh, Mary Jane was walking around the apartment. Peter was buried, but she didn't know where he was. And they were, they were, yeah, in the middle of setting up their apartment together. And the first thing she had to deal with was, okay, he's gone missing and I don't know where he is. And, uh, oh, look, some muscle-bound murderous freak has taken his identity. See, when we're setting stuff up and you disappear and I'm not sure where you are, I, I figure it's usually the liquor store. Yeah. The liquor store or one of three bars. And yeah. you can walk to all of them. <laughs> I don't disappear. I answer them. I text you ahead of time. going to be at X. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Come meet me. <laughs> we'll get drunk and I'll have more fun. <laughs> don't paint me out as some... I gotta get out of the house drunkard. Yeah, I do. Come with me. That's true. I, I'd at least, at least leave a post-it. Going to find Craven. Be right back. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not Spider-Man. Yeah. Although I do occasionally have gooey discharges. Jesus. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> For a $10 all-you-can-eat testicle fest. I'm sorry. <laughs> Shall we go back to talking about Red Hot Wieners? <laughs> Apparently, all right, folks, here's what happens. When there's no actual comics news, we are reduced to the uh, emotional level of 12-year-olds. <laughs> Anybody who's listened to this show for more than 20 minutes knows we never get far above that, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Tell me more about your gooey discharge. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? I put it on the internet. You need the URL? <laughs> oh, God. Um. 
interesting in this, uh, Spider-Man seems to be uh, wearing the black Venom type suit. Yeah, in earlier issues of this, uh, this is yet another one I, I have to ask because you and I have different pulls, and we don't. Yeah, I have not seen books. a lot of this one. I think I saw another one, but it wasn't the first one. Uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, that was the costume that he had around, but also this was much more serious business. He was going to protect his family. So this is the uh, black ops suit. Basically, okay. it's it's like when uh, they did Back in Black when Straczynski was writing it. Spidey Wetworks. Yeah. Got it. So, <laughs> But it's a, no, it's to show he. It's a a visual cue of yeah, he means business. It's not you know the jokey Spider Man. Got it. There is not very much in the way of banter from Spider Man. There's none in this issue. Yeah. And in a previous one, yeah, he really makes a point of he's not joking. Okay. So that's just sort of a visual cue to show that. Now I believe also at some point, um, Annie saw something reminiscent of Venom Venom in her room in a previous issue? Yeah, that was in in the first issue before Battle World. Okay. uh, Before at least Regent took over. uh, It was a battle between Peter and Venom, and Venom basically said he was going to come back and kill Peter's family, so Peter allowed him to die. Ah, okay. So that's why... He never really showed her that costume because, uh, yeah, that visual is something, you know, that's been her boogeyman Got it. ever since she was a toddler. Okay. So she, um, she finally gets to cut loose though because once, once S.H.I.E.L.D. takes them into protective custody, they're like, yeah, you can take your bracelet off. We're all friends here. <laughs> You're powered up. It's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, crawl on the walls. Fuck it. Um, and, and then when the inevitable bad guys find their way back to their secret lair, She's able to kick Craven in the taint. Literally. Like, there's a whole panel. <laughs> there is. <laughs> it's. This is a weird issue to me because if you take a step back from it, this thing is 90% exposition. Yeah. 90% just laying down story stuff without a whole hell of a lot really happening. Because this issue has to lay down all the backstory about. Shield as it is now and how they've been hiding the backstory on Regent and what he's really been doing with the powered people he's been kidnapping. Uh, you know, how Peter's inhibitor chips actually can potentially take Regent down. It's, it's a lot of story clean and jerk. It's like, okay, yeah. this is the stuff we need to lay down for the finale. So yeah. And it's, it's weird because on one level, I shouldn't really like this book at all because not very much is ha- part of the fun of reading a Peter and Mary Jane married again story with a child comes from seeing Peter and Mary Jane together, which we have not seen right in this kind of context since one more day and seeing May learn how to use her powers. Right. And in this issue, you got two pages of the powers thing. And Peter and MJ aren't together at all. And you don't get any of the Spider-Man banter. So this is really a weird kind of book. It is. The most satisfying part of it is that page where she cuts loose and gives herself what will be her superhero name. The other weird thing reading this was... I'm a menace. Menace is an excellent name. It is. (laughs) It occurred to me just how weird it is that... In the last six months, Spider-Gwen and Silk are popular and have really kind of captured the comics zeitgeist. Spider-Woman is up there, too. 
but May Parker as Spider Girl kept getting canceled and canceled and fucking canceled. I mean, Five will get you ten. Mayday comes out of this, yeah. and uh, she'll she'll have a book called Menace, and Tom DeFalco, who did the original Spider Girl, he'd just be like, "I did the best I knew how to do. I don't understand why you like her now." It's just a different time with different priorities, but yeah, well, I I I I don't know exactly why. She's an enjoyable character in this book, in this context. Oh, that one page where she gets to cut loose, there's a lot of joy there. One thing Slot did very effectively, I think, is throughout all the issues show her frustration with the fact that she can't show what we what she can do. Right. She wants to help people. She wants to use her powers, and she's never been able to. So to finally see her not only cut loose, but do so effectively, you know, was it a little bit, you know, deus ex? Yeah, kind of. Suddenly she cuts loose and then, oh, everybody's knocked down and we can go back through this portal to go after Regent's <laughs> headquarters. Yeah. But it still was, for an exposition-heavy issue, I think it was something that you needed that kind of payoff. Because otherwise, it's really an info dump of an issue. Yes. And that was... It was a really effective page. But, yeah, it's it's one of those things, if you have not been reading this from the beginning, even if you have, you know, getting everything laid out to make the last issue make sense, it's an exposition-heavy issue. It is. It is. As part of the whole, I think it works better. This will be one, uh, yeah, in the trade, issue four, this will be the thing you go through quickly. Right. Right. Um. I also found one thing I did find slightly jarring, though, was, you know, Mary Jane's insistence throughout the majority, like the first two thirds of the book. No, Annie, you can't do this. No, Annie, you can't do this. No, even when they get to the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. No, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, once it starts going like one panel, huh? Well, what do you know? And then like, that's it. That's all it took. <laughs> it's now, my mother be a screeching like in you know, a rage monster. Like, no, you get over here. <laughs> <laughs> Your childhood terrifies there, there would have me. been the look and the grabbing of the arm, and this, that's when you know you're going to the car. <laughs> you never had spider powers? I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but it's also your your mom was never in a position where... Look, they have hidden May for years, and that's been the priority. We have to protect her. And now everything has gone to shit. Everything they did to protect her no longer makes any sense at all. Yeah. They can't hide her. Everybody knows that she has powers. And she was able to defend herself effectively, yeah, in a single page, but sometimes for pacing Against three reasons. different particular villains. Yeah. So it's, all right, we can't hide anymore. Peter is captured and over here, and you've shown you can defend yourself. And what are we going to do? Sit here and, and hope one-eyed Hawkeye with no depth perception can fucking... <laughs> fucking save peter so that was actually that was one of the other things i got a kick out of in this book there are panels where Kubert draws hawkeye with his new eye patch literally you darken his hair and give him graying sideburns he's nick fury yeah actually yeah so yeah right. one-eyed hawkeye is the head of shield it's like all right i kind of got a kick out of that yeah yeah no that's you make a good point <laughs> so 
you know, it was, it's fun if you, this is a, a fun book if you don't think about it, I guess. <laughs> and, and that's part of the problem. It's certainly, I, I've read all of the issues of this, so certainly I got a lot out of it, but yeah, taking a step back and looking at it kind of analytically, this book is far more exposition than anything else. There's, there are some fun, there's some fun to be had with it. There are some good moments, but it's really mostly set up to the final battle in the next issue. Right. And five will get you 10 with everything that's been set up. You got machinery that takes powers and gives it to other people. If I got to make a prediction, Peter will have his powers taken away. Prowler might get them because I thought it was interesting. Prowler was in this Mm. because back in, I think the seventies Prowler stood in for Peter, put on the costume and pretended to be Spider-Man after Peter, of all things, got the flu and in a delirium told all his friends he was Spider-Man. Yeah. So Prowler has put on the Spider-Man suit before. Well, all right, that's possible. But also we know that going forward, Miles is going to be active. This could still be an alternate universe. There could be a... A menace book that's yeah. alternate universe, the same way Spider Gwen is. Okay, all right. You raise a good point, but I was just trying to think, like, you know, is this is this where, you know, we we find out why Peter is now willing to just sort of be an entrepreneur and and global whatever. Well, part of me is still hoping that what actually happens is that it's this version of Peter that comes out of it. Um, that's that's my hope as well. Yeah, but there's the problem is there are enough elements in place it's not the sense i got when they were talking about it at the spider-verse panel yeah there's enough elements in place in this book that you could take peter's powers away give them to somebody else and have a menace book where she's the only one with powers and he's gonna mentor her somehow yeah which would make it which would make it different than the spider-girl comic that I read for years. Yep. But that's probably a thing they want to go for. <laughs> so. So, yeah, it's it, if you've been reading it all along, this is solid. There's some fun moments on it. But a lot of this is, uh, okay, let's make sure all the books are balanced and we filled in all the gaps and dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's so that we can have the big final battle. Yes. All right. All right. Anything else on that one? Or? No, I. It, it was. it's... It is a fun book, but you have to not think about it too hard. It is exposition heavy. Yeah. They don't pay us to not think. <laughs> they don't pay us at all. What the fuck are we doing here? Drinking. Oh, yes. Thanks for reminding me. So, working working our way through some more Marvel books here. Uh, we've got a Secret Wars book here called 1872, number two. Yeah, uh, written by Jerry Dugan, uh, art by Nick Varela. Now, this is an interesting alternate universe book. I got a kick out of this. Part of it is, I, I've said it before, I've got a soft spot for westerns. Yeah. You know, I miss Jonah Hex. Uh, the real Jonah Hex before the new 52. Yes. All-Star Western was not bad, but All-Star Western was an excuse to use Jonah Hex as a mechanism to, oh, let's see how Gotham City was in 1885 and... Let's put Jonah on a Harley in the present <laughs> and give him a Glock. It's the real Western stuff I liked. And uh, 
this <laughs> this one I kind of liked because man, it's a lot of different westerns all under one cover. It is. It is. Um, I, I enjoy this opening that explains why Tony drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Tony drinks because his son cries. I. <laughs> well, no, because he just watched his. Uh, his Gatling gun invention get used to mow down a bunch of Confederate army. <laughs> it's one thing this issue uh, in this series does reasonably well is find ways for characters to behave that is really kind of consistent, if anachronistic, yeah. with their modern versions. So, yeah, the idea of Tony seeing the aftermath of one of his weapons, you know, driving him to drink, I can buy that. That's reasonably close to. Uh, Jesus, even the movie where, okay, I need to, you know, uh, I've fallen apart because people are selling my bombs to yeah. the Ten Rings. Right. Um, And so, again, here's Ben Urich. <laughs> Son of a bitch is everywhere. <laughs> and, and he is... Uh... I think he's the actual god emperor of Battle World. You he's think? Just, he's just doing it on the QT. <laughs> like, dooms his beard, his power beard. Doom is my beard. <laughs> My power beard. <laughs> Somehow that makes it creepier. It does. But, yeah, Ben Yurik's in charge of everything. Um, but it's it was it's interesting to see all the little pockets of things that are um, laid out. So so Bucky in this iteration is or was the uh, deputy to Steve Rogers. Yep. And this is the the book or the the book series in which they launched the character Red Wolf. Who has uh, been somewhat controversial because people are like, "Oh, he's not being portrayed accurately." It, 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 I'm not going to wade in on that. I don't know. It's an Indian American Indian character <laughs> from back in the day. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's it's not historically accurate. It's a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read many things. I read Scalped. I read 1872. You know, I don't know. Um. Natasha in this appears to be married to Bucky. See, I like that. Uh, I like that because in retrospect, the idea of, you know, oh, okay, uh, we'll make Black Widow an actual widow. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things that, it, exactly. It's like, oh my God, that's so fucking obvious. But I didn't think of it until I saw it. And I'm like, shit, that's clever. All right. But, I'll buy know, into she that. She is dressed in black. Yeah. In this. Attempt. So. Um, Bruce Banner is the apothecary. <laughs> Don't drink that snake oil. <laughs> Don't do it. Wilson Fisk is the town mayor. And saloon owner. And saloon owner. Um, there is a Governor Roxon who owns a silver mine, and that's sort of the, the whole crux of the thing. His dam on the river is what is upsetting the, the local reservation. That's why their population is fighting with this town. Yeah, and he's got himself his own Clanton gang of Bullseye and Electra and Doctor Octopus. Do yeah, Doctor Octopus. Who's Grizzly? Yeah, who's the Grizzlies? Who's his analogy? Uh, honestly, I, I I'm not sure off the top of my head. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting to see how all of this played out. I I didn't watch Deadwood. Did Did you find any Deadwood kind of similarities? It seems you know... the best one I found was uh, Fisk as saloon owner. Okay, sort of. It's not quite the same because Al Swearingen tried to work, but he didn't have any official power. Okay. You know, he was a power broker, and he made things happen, and he would 
destroy you if you got in his way, but he was not officially, he didn't have any official power. So that's, that's as close as I could think of off the top of my head. Because I went through trying to figure out, okay, there's a lot of Western things here. And, uh, I mean, I listed a few out just in my notes. We got a sheriff facing down outlaws, hoping for help from the townspeople that never comes. Right. That's high noon. Uh, a journalist getting ready to tell the truth about how the sheriff got them all into a mess. And I'm guessing he's going to throw away his notes once Iron Man comes out to take down Fisk. That felt like the man who shot Liberty Valance. Yeah. No, yeah. The saloon owner, uh, you know, with who's the, the major power that reminded me of Deadwood. Uh, a woman loses a loved one and gets ready to enlist help to take down those killers. That's true grit. It's also the quick and the dead. Yeah. Um, I said classic. What? Actually, that's not a bad movie. Quick and the Dead is underrated. Quick and the Dead is fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, but the the dandy killer trying to start a feud with an alcoholic that he's doomed to lose to—that's Tombstone. Yep. So, and I'm probably missing a dozen others. But yeah, there's a ton of different classic Western influences in this, and that was kind of half the fun of picking out, picking and choosing. And you know, if we were to talk to to Jerry Duggan, he might say, "No, that's not what I was thinking at all." But yeah. I, 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 um, spoilers. Steve Rogers dies, or seems to have died. He gets shot in the heart. It's that kind of was surprising to me because it, this definitely has the feeling of a more modern Western, like a Deadwood or an Unforgiven or a Tombstone, where, yeah, the good guys don't automatically win. People are not necessarily motivated by good versus evil. Uh, and if they are bad things, sometimes happen to them. And but it but it it does work though because in or at least prior to Secret Wars and Battle World, you know Steve was no longer Captain America. He had to step down, not because he died, because he lost his powers. Well, this <laughs> he is unquestionably dead. Yeah, they fed him to the pigs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Unless old Doc Banner has a way to use his fucking snake oil to bestow new life upon pig shit. <laughs> yeah, Rogers is deader than shit. Or is he, he's at least as dead as shit? Dead and shit? I don't Things know. Things went poorly for Captain Rogers. He's shit and he's dead. He's, <laughs> he, he's big poop. All right, you're, you are fecal fascinated right now. I, I might be having a mild <laughs> aneurysm. <laughs> Been a long day. Um... And the other thing is, we don't see him in here, but if you look at the map, yes, the second or third uh, page of the book has a map of Timely. I also like that. That's a neat little nod timely. to... Well, the Marvel was originally Timely Comics when oh, they first right. came out. Yeah. So there's there's a house for an S. Wilson. Oh, yeah, yeah. So even though Bullseye says, you know, oh, you leave that badge, and it, it did not pass me that, at least in cop shows, cops call their badge their shield. So to leave that badge in the dirt, Sam Wilson will come and pick it up. Yeah, well, there's there's other characters that we don't see in here. There's a there's a house for Bobby Morse. Yeah. Um. But I'm just thinking of Monica of, Rambo of obvious plot stuff that we could see <laughs> come. So we up. see Monica Rambo. Do we? Yeah, I think so. I was just pointing out an obvious plot stuff of who's going to be the next sheriff. Wong's. There's, there's a Wong's house. That's all right. I can finish a thought anytime. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please Whenever you're done. I'm done. <laughs> Sam Wilson will be sheriff. Okay. Christ's sake. I'm sorry. It's all right. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a, I wouldn't mind seeing Duggan take a shot at an actual Western. 
I mean, all this Marvel Universe wink and nod stuff is it's fine for Secret Wars, and there is some cool stuff there. Like you know, like I said, the the mapping of Tony's repeater to seeing his weapons. So I like that. Mm -hmm. But he's clearly taking, at least to me, taking some of the classic westerns as more of an inspiration than he is from the Marvel stuff. I mean, you kill the sheriff dead, and that happens to be Captain America. You're not exactly keeping yourself on the Marvel side as much as the Western side. Right. Right. So, and there's some interesting stuff in here. It's a, I'm curious about who the, the long haired stranger who gets the, the fortune for Iron Man that finally pushes him into action. I'm curious about who that is. That was a cute use of the vision. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> as just sort of a fortune telling robot with an electric light for the world's greatest inventor. Yeah. I, part of me, with that dude with the poncho, I'm, I'm kind of hoping it's a nod to the man with no name. It probably is. From the Leone flicks, making a cameo to add some more Western juice to the story. Yeah. It won't be, but part of me kind of hopes that. Um. Well, maybe we'll find out, or maybe we won't. Mysterious characters are mysterious. Oh, we'll find out. We'll find out what that fortune was, and... Well, is is the the long-haired mysterious character supposed to be this person coming out of the tent as the good man that they talk about are riding out of town? Uh, possible. I didn't really take it that way, but I guess it's possible. Okay. Hard to know. Just one little note with the, the art and the coloring on it, and maybe I'm hallucinating it, but I really felt like everything has sort of a sepia tone, like an old photograph. But it really felt like earlier in the book, before stuff really started to go to shit, it was a little bit lighter. Yeah. So just sort of the, the general darkening of the book as things go wrong and worse and terrible. Because I, I may be hallucinating it. No, I don't think you're wrong. So, so yeah, uh, as, as somebody who misses Jonah Hex and... Hell, I even miss all Star Western. It's nice to get a a Western book. Yeah, it's it's one of those. Yeah, it's it's not going to make you any smarter, but it's something. It's one of those books that I have liked best from Secret Wars. Take this conceit that there's Battle World and it can be anything, and do something clever with it. Right. You know, fine. Let's have a fucking Western book. Actually, you know who we didn't see in this book? Who could be a player yet? Who? Hank Pym. He's got a hardware store. We won't, actually, because Hank Pym uh, has been picked up and taken... Out of town? Out Was of, that the... All right. He's been taken... Well, no. <laughs> he's been taken out of town, and he has been dropped behind the shield wall. That's right. Okay. Uh, in Marvel Zombies okay. versus I knew Age something of Ultron. had happened. Okay. So, yeah, he's, he's over in that book. So right. I doubt we'll see him in this one. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, just it, it's this kind of book I like best from Secret Wars. If if we're gonna have X number of months of fuck it, none of it's in continuity. Do something cool with it. <laughs> and this is one of the cooler ones. Yes. Plus, I got a soft spot for westerns, and I like the idea of a Captain America that will shoot you in the face <laughs> because I am perverse. <laughs> All right. All right, what do we got? One Final left. book. Speaking of the ends of things. Last Days of Loki, Agent of Asgard, Al Ewing. 
And the art is done by... Lee Garbett. Lee Garbett. Technically, uh, Loki, Agent of Asgard, 17. Yes. This... This <laughs> is a fun book. This is, as as a goodbye book goes, this is a sweet book. <laughs> this was a solid emotional book that does a lot of stuff. Yes. Some of it surprising some of it i may be reading too much into but there's a lot of cool stuff to like in this this issue they've um they've sort of been doing this sort of makeover of loki ever since hiddleston popularized the character i think (laughs) oh there's no doubt about it and i i was a big fan of uh journey into mystery when kieran gillen was writing it and it was little Loki. <laughs> yeah. It's, I read those issues. Uh, you really like them. Yeah. Uh, you bought the trades, but I've not reread any of them since the, the first time I went through. And, and that was, that was a heartbreaking book because yeah, the, the way they recharacterized what was previously a, a God of evil. I mean, Loki's always, always the trickster God, you know, he's, Thor's nemesis, but it was generally always with a characterization toward he's a, a menacing, nefarious, and it's it's not lighthearted trickster. It he's a villain. He's a villain. He was always the villain. Whereas now he's sort of firmly in uh, the anti-hero, likable scamp. <laughs> yeah, well, you get Tom Hiddleston for two or three movies. Yeah, it's. Congratulations! You don't get to be a douchebag anymore. Yeah, no, we're we're going to capitalize. We're going to capitalize on the corporate synergy, right? So, starting with that series, and then into this series under under Al Ewing, they've been working this whole character makeover of, and and they also um, made even evil Loki noble by saying ultimately, no, it was you who set this in motion. You wanted this redemption for yourself. Right. So it's not just about me. It's about old you, too. Which was just, oh, (laughs) feels. (laughs) Don't you fucking say that on this. We're not goddamn children on 4chan, for Christ's sake. Lols. Oh, all right. That's that's acceptable. Okay. But, yeah, it's... See, I've, I've not been following this really closely. As much as I like Al Ewing's writing, and I really do, I'm just not the biggest fan of the... Any of the Asgard stories. See, so, yeah. all right, go ahead. Like Sorry. I said, I read the first. Uh, actually, I read the first trade of this when you picked it up of this series, but uh, only once. So it's it's not completely baked in my brain any more than Journey into Mystery is. Uh, but it's it, I didn't bother to see the the Thor movies in the theaters, and that carries over to the comics. So the entire backstory of where King Loki, the older Loki, comes from, yeah. and how he was working against Loki, and what his plan was, I am fuzzy on. Um, it's not necessarily needed to know that for this. I think where I enjoyed these stories, where um, 1872 speaks to you as you miss um, All-Star Western and Jonah Hex and, and Western comics yeah this fills a void for me that really hasn't been filled since vertigo stopped publishing sandman and lucifer and and those stories that capitalized on a a wide pantheon of of god-like characters and and in this book here you know 
Loki's no longer the god of evil. He's the god of stories. <laughs> yes. Which is a clear, <laughs> I don't want to say nod, but a, a connection to Sandman. Yeah. So I, I can, I get what you're saying. And, and it's done masterfully. It's, it, it, Ewing does a nice job of, of using Loki's ability to tell stories. And he's with a, a character who is now a ghost, but even as a human, her, her power was she could always see through and, and tell you if you were telling a lie. Yeah. And, and at this point, his stories have become so masterfully told, she can no longer determine if there is deception in them. Ah, Verity, the lying cat of people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and he can tell stories that are so powerful that it makes the gods of the gods fearful and and turn tail and run because they don't want to know how their story ends. Well, I think that's actually about something else. Okay. And again, I I guess I could be reading too much into this. All right, well, no, this is a good point. So what are are your thoughts? All right, well... uh, to me, that piece of it is a meta story about fandom. Ah. Because, all right, the, <laughs> the gods of the gods demand stories. Yes. Now, that would seem to me to be us. We're the ones demanding the stories. You know, but this book seems to posit that even though we didn't directly create the stories, the stories created fandom. Mm. You know, without those, you don't have fans to to read them and like them and bitch about them. You know, you, you don't get us and a hundred people just like us talking into microphones over the internet about them. Okay, and a million people just like you listening, seeking out people like us who are talking about them or websites or whatever. I suppose that's just, why this lead one has a neck beard. It's possible. So, <laughs> so yeah, to me, it was really clever because. The second Loki offers to tell those gods of gods how it ends, Mm. they fuck off. Even the gods of gods fucking hate spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. I I didn't take it quite that literally, but I can totally see where, where that would be a way to interpret that, certainly. Yeah, and I'm not necessarily right. That's just how I took it, and it seemed to fit, and the, that kind of shit got me through college English classes, so I'll stick with it. Yeah, I think my mind went somewhat more literal in terms of, you know, with with various mythologies, there's the, the sitting pantheon of gods, but then there's always the older gods that came before. So if you look at, with like Greek mythology, you've got Zeus and the Olympian pantheon, but before that... There were the Titans, and before the Titans, there was um, just Mother Earth and and her affair with U- Uranus. <laughs> Uranus, Uranus. Say it right, right. Uranus. Um, and, and Uranus. But it's it's always there's always an older god or goddess who fits a similar archetype to the one that is the newer one because every generation sort of draws on the stories that came before. So how far back does it go? And you could well be right. It could be both. Like I said, I could be reading too much into it. It's to me, if this is a goodbye happening, one of the few stories happening really outside the scope of battle world and just sort of happening in the void, 
I figured, all right, maybe there's something else going on here, and I could be wrong. No, I I think it's it is a it's a perfectly valid way to interpret it. Um, I I took it differently, but I I think I think your way of looking at it is is very meta. Well, <laughs> I, I think everything should be about itself. <laughs> it's about me, me the fan. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> My red hot wiener. It's, <laughs> it's not unprecedented. Remember Superboy Prime and yeah. punching reality, yeah. and in the end, he's he's there screaming at people on message boards. Well, it's it's you know Animal Man punching through the fourth wall, yelling at God, <laughs> who turns out to be Grant Morrison. Well, <laughs> it's always I I also saw a certain amount of it's it's very weird because I saw two things happening at once, and that's why it's very possible I'm reading too much into this. On one hand. Al Ewing has been writing the best comics for people who don't give a fuck about Secret Wars and just want it all yes. to be done so we can move on. His last days of Captain America and the Mighty Avengers was the single best indictment of how Secret Wars, going into Secret Wars, was handled and how these heroes just sort of bailed and allowed everything to be destroyed. You know, it's how the heroes of the Marvel Universe handled the incursions. It, it it was the the best indictment of the, and it was a Marvel comic, they you had know, saying uh, yeah, yeah you know, with Monica Rambeau saying no fuck you we'll take care of this if you won't and even though she wasn't able to at least she tried where Reed Richards was too busy building a fucking lifeboat, you know, and this issue pretty effectively puts itself outside of Secret Wars. I mean it's in the void, you know, but it also makes it clear that all stories change. Something new would have come no matter what. You know, in the end, it doesn't matter because every story changes, and it would have changed anyway. There's always more stories. Yeah. But at the same time, it's weird because it's also an indictment of those same people who are like, I don't want Secret Wars. You know, just keep on doing what you've been doing because King Loki's biggest complaint seemed to be that no matter what, people just wanted the old Loki. They wouldn't let him change. Right. And that young Loki, ah, shit, you're not even all that different from me no matter what happened. And ultimately, Loki points out it changes anyway, no matter what. So even if you hate Secret Wars and everything it stands for, those stories would have changed anyway. Right. And even though that gravity to always do the same thing is always there. So it's it's weird. On one hand, it's like, yeah, this seems like a book for people who are like, why is this shit even happening? It's a, yeah, that's for you. But it's also for people who are who are saying, you know, I, I don't want things to change. <laughs> it's got an equal amount of, it doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> so the, you don't always get what you want. Right. So it's it's weird. It's it's like it's for everybody and against everybody. So I said I'm probably reading too much into this, but I got to the end of this after reading it two or three times. But I think I'm like, Al Ewing's a fucking genius. No, it's more likely I'm an idiot. No, but- I no, I because this is why it's good that we have these conversations, because I'm coming from a place where you know again, I've I've talked about this in previous shows. I recently reread all of Lucifer from Soup to Nuts. And in the, in the very first story arc, they talk about these old gods that don't um, have really any more pull in the world until one person somewhere prays just enough. And right. then they start to get power again. And so these old gods, they need stories. And they need them from somebody. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it, it's that same sort of idea. <laughs> you can look at it that way. Or <laughs> you can look at it as, yeah, they, they could totally be a metaphor stand-in for, for the fandom. Um, and that that's a perfectly 
good way to look at it too. And I, I think that the most successful stories in these giant sort of epic changing arcs like this are the ones that enlist the fans in a friendly way and say, we, we, we get it. Just work with us. Like when, when Scott Snyder talks about everything that's changing with the bat family books <laughs> yeah, and how, um, you know, we appreciate that you're concerned and, and we'd like you to trust us that we're telling these stories be- because we think it's going to lead to something better and not just for the sake of fucking around in the sandbox. I'm, I'm far less eloquent than Snyder was in any of the panels where he's spoken, but <laughs> <laughs> because no, I mean, how many times have we sat and you know, why is Bendis doing this with these, you know, teen X-Men characters? Oh, he just wants to play in the sandbox. Like you know, why is <laughs> it does sometimes feel like that is all of the motivation yeah. that some creators have. And yeah, why are they blowing up the entire Marvel universe? Ah, they just want to change things. They're, they're bored. So they're taking it out on us. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> At least they're not masturbating in front of me on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Christ. I hope not. <laughs> um, so again, I think if, if you, if a reader, if, if multiple readers can come away from this with different understandings of the story and all of those, sto- all of those interpretations are successful and, and make them feel as though they've come away with a better understanding of the story, then the story is successful. I, I agree. Cause anything I said about this, you can ignore all of that. And it's just a wicked cool story about Loki pulling one out of his ass one last time <laughs> against his, the, the biggest opponent he ever faced. And making peace with himself that sometimes, even if you have bad intentions, things can work out and you can be better. And just saying, okay, now I'm moving on to the next thing that the next person has in store for me. You could chuck everything I said about this and still you got a cool story with one last awesome Loki coming out on top and some real emotional beats in it. Yeah, no, this is as successful an ending to any of these pre-Battle World stories as has been put together. So good job on Al Ewing and his his team. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm happier and happier when I see Al Ewing's name on more books. He's really become one of my favorite Marvel writers. Yeah. That's hard to say, Marvel writers. Especially after that many beers. Yeah, and I'm running out. I'm going to have to get some more soon. <laughs> So, so yeah, it's, it, and again, while I may be reading far too much into this, the fact that I was able to get that many levels out of it, I'm going to call this the best, most successful Secret Wars book that I've read, or Secret Wars related book that I've read so far. And this is a guy coming into it. It's like, I have not followed this title all the way through. Would I, you, would you characterize this as more successful than that um, Captain America and the Mar- uh, Mighty Avengers book? I think it does more. Mm. I think as as somebody who, for a large part of Secret Wars, you know, remember when this first started out, we were talking about, all right, we may have to compare this as universe fuckery to Infinite Crisis. Yeah. Or Identity Crisis, rather. That a lot of people say this screwed up the DC universe for X number of years. I think you're and right. People are acting out of character. Yeah. No, I think you're, I think you're right. This, this book, 
since since it's ended as successfully um, as, as it has, makes me want to go now and just sort of sit down. I, I'm waiting for this last arc to be collected in a trade. I just want to sit down and read all of the trades. I I just want to go through it from from the beginning to to the end. Like I said, I read the first one and enjoyed it, but missed a lot of issues in between. So I'm with you. I want to yeah. see how this whole thing went through. Because the the way that this character evolved um, and and came into its own really is a credit to to the the folks that worked on the books. <laughs> yeah, well, and I'm going to have to fill in fill in the gaps, but as an individual issue as a piece of secret wars, there is something here for for and against everybody who's reading it. <laughs> yeah. And it's that is a a, a rare book and I, like I said, I'm probably pulling too much to have four or five beers with Al Ewing. <laughs> which, I, which I'd love to do, but he'd probably be like, you're an idiot. <laughs> he'd say it in a really classy British accent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, read Loki 17. Yes, and pick up all the other books if you haven't read them yet. Yes. <laughs> all right. So that is all that we have. How, how are we doing yeah, on time? About an hour and a half. All right. Yes, going old school, talking about books. Talking about the actual books of the week. Well, <laughs> it's tough because you have to actually read. <laughs> it's fucking hard. Next week we'll do Fear the Walking Dead. Words. And frankly, I had to cut this thing together in time to actually watch that. So I have faith in your abilities. That's fucking, we go get you some more whiskey. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. Whistle pick me up. <laughs> All right. So, wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. All right. So, don't know where you found this particular episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook, facebook.com, whack crisisoninfinitemidlives. We are trying to do more with that uh, than just have it sort of sit there and be like, yep, we got a Facebook. (laughs) Things have been a little dicey this week. They may continue to be a little dicey as we potentially look for a new home office. But we certainly get messages through there, so if you want to get in touch with us, that is a good way to do it, as is with our email address, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. We are on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at infinitemidlife. We are on Tumblr. Yes. uh, crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. Yep. We are on iTunes, and if you, if this is, if how you consume this particular program is through Apple iTunes, do us a favor, uh, shoot us a rating, uh, give us a review. It's a good way to help other people find the show, and certainly it makes us feel big. <laughs> we uh, can be found on TuneIn Radio. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network, and I think that is it. That is, that is, and we, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, tune in next week where, we'll again, we'll talk about Fear the Walking Dead and possibly regale you with stories of, of other places that didn't work out <laughs> when we go house hunting. <laughs> We went to the open house and the toilet had a foot in it. (laughs) That's coming and you know it. Episode 85 in which I tell Rob that he's not supposed to take a grunt in the sink when you go to an open house. (laughs) I just wanted to see if the plumbing worked. (laughs) You can't tell me what to do. God help us. This has been episode 84 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. I'm not going to...
even see any details of any houses we look at because I'll be wondering which sink to shit in. Uh, I think we're clear. 